Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week, we are going to be delving back into our top 100 games of all time, the Board Game Shenanigans Top 100 Games of All Time. Yeah. But before we get into that, we are going to discuss a couple games. We are going to be taking a look at Oath, Chronicles of Empire and Exile. We're actually not going to review this game, partly because... We played a single game of it, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it would be justified for us to give a full-fledged review. Certainly not after a single game. Like, if we were going to play the whole campaign, then by all means, we could we could review it well, but I don't even know that we're going to do that. But it's worth talking about because it was such an interesting, unique game. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that, and then we are going to be taking a look at Ready, Set, Bet. Mm-hmm. But before we get into games... Natasha, you have something exciting or something that you're really excited about that you signed up for. What did you sign up for recently? Oh, I, I just signed up to go to the Dice Tower East Convention in Orlando this uh, in July. I'm excited about that. So it's right around 4th of July, right? What, yes. When exactly the is fifth, it? The 5th through the 9th. My kids are going to be away at summer camp that week. So I was like, I can do this. So I'm going to go fly to Orlando. We get, a, we get nonstop from where we live in Grand Rapids to Orlando, so that's that's cool. Well, it's because it, like half the population of Florida has it, like used to live in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, everybody goes, but it's July too. Like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm gonna go and play a bunch of board games with people. So, how many convention type or board game type things are you going to be doing next year? Would um, you say? I'm not sure yet. We're gonna do the cruise. Bob and I are both on the cruise with a couple other friends of ours. Yep. Um, I'm going to do Dice Tower East Convention in Orlando in July, and I'd still like to do Origins because I love that one. I also want to do the Dice Tower Retreat, that, but that's a long one. That's in um, a whole week in the fall. But, but what I really like, I like getting together and playing games. I don't love conventions. Like, uh, I don't like, I feel like pressured to buy stuff, you know, and I, I don't love that. But I love getting together, like carving out some time. You know, Grand Con, I'll definitely do Grand Con. That's another one. A whole weekend of where I just play board games the entire time. And I really like that. I end up playing a lot. And the Dice Tower has got a really good library of all kinds of good games. So I don't have to bring anything. I'll be able to play whatever they've got. And yeah, just play a bunch. Well, and Tom Vassell does a really good job of making, upgrading all of his games in that yeah. library. Anytime you watch any of his uh, most boring unboxings, it's usually part of it is just game components to upgrade make the, library, the yeah right? upgrade the library, which is which is cool. I'm excited. I really wanted to play the deluxe version of um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig because I don't have that one, and that's one of my favorite games. And I'd like to play the deluxe version of that, you know. And I'd like to play some good convention games. What we're talking about today, Ready, Set, Bet. That's a big, um, Tom's a big fan of that one. So I hope to play that at a convention because I think that'll be fun. So if you're going to any of those conventions, please come and say hi to me. I would love to meet any of you guys. Yeah, definitely say hi. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm going to be playing or I don't know if I'm going to be going to as many conventions as you are this year. Yeah. Like I, I'm planning on, obviously we're doing the Dice Tower Cruise and then, Origins is in in June, but mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to skip it this year because my wife and I, it's going to be our uh, 10-year wedding anniversary, and then like it's a big year. She's turning 40. I'm turning 40, 
So it's we're gonna try we're trying to plan like a long vacation right around June. So it'll be interesting to see if I don't know if I'll be able to make Origins work, but my plan is Gen Con. I, I need to get back to Gen Con. So I definitely yeah, wanna do that. That would be a fun one. I was kinda jealous watching all the footage of it. So uh, maybe someday I'll Gen do that Con. One too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you would like going there because it's not necessarily a convention like where you play games, at yeah. least for me. You can. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of opportunities to play games and there's quite a bit of space. But the quote unquote library from the last time I was there, you when you would sign up for the library stuff, you would have to sign up for like four hour increments, basically. Yeah. And then you would go and have access to a library that truthfully wasn't that great. So the libraries at Origins and the libraries at even Grand Con are better than the mm-hmm. one at. I don't Gen love Con. demoing games that aren't out yet. I like to demo games that are out. That's fun. I don't love shopping at the booths, and I don't love the crowds. I, you know, I'd rather just like wait a little bit and wait for the game to come out. I'm not. I'm not big into like being the first one to play a game. That doesn't excite me as much as like I want to spend a whole day and stay up till two a.m. playing side the whole day. Like that sounds fun. I think you should try Gen Con once. I it yes. the just the That's experience fair. of Gen Con. And you can sign up to play a bunch of games if you want to. So there's technically you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um I probably won't be playing games with you if you would go with my group cuz I'm going to be in that convention hall mm. or the uh vendor hall. I'm going to be in the vendor hall looking at all the new stuff. Yeah, I do want to go to Essen one day too just because I like to see the spectacle of it i would probably not go just to go to essen i'd probably like if i could make a trip and go to germany and then spend a few days in essen but a big part of that convention is like buying a ton of games and i'm not a big buyer and and the idea of buying a ton of games in essen and then having to like haul it all home that kind of stresses me out so i'd like to see it one day like the spectacle of it but i don't know that it's worth my energy to go but we'll see maybe someday yeah essen would be cool when i've got lots of Lots of money and lots of time on my hands. <laughs> yeah, when we build the board game retirement facility, yeah. we just have nothing but, you know, we're retired and we have time. So mm-hmm. might as well just go to Essen. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, let's get into some games. Let's talk about Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile. So this is um, this is a game by Leader Games and Leader Games has made, they've done Root, Fort, uh, vast the crystal caverns so they very much create these big asymmetric games so root is a prime example root has gotten a ton of love over the years uh, with its asymmetrical play you know playing the marquee de cat and playing the bird faction and just all of them plays completely different mm-hmm. and then in oath chronicles of empire and exile what it is is somebody is playing the chancellor and they have a very specific win condition And then all the other players are playing exiled characters. And the only win condition available to them is based off something that the chancellor holds. So the chancellor holds this piece that says, you know, control the most locations at the end of the game to win. If for some reason you end up losing that throughout the game, you end up taking that tile. And then when you you can flip it, And if you still have it while it's flipped, then you end up winning the game. But there's also additional ways you can win the game because you can get these vision cards in in a deck and that gives you a separate win condition. So in some ways, it reminds me of games like like Inish is a a good example where 
you have to meet certain criteria in order to fulfill win conditions. It's not like you're acquiring points. And it has to be like at the start of your turn too. So everyone knows like, okay, Bob's going to win if it comes back to him. It's not like you can do it in your turn either. It, I think that makes it comparable to Inish. The fact that it comes back around to you. So we all have a round to like basically stop you from winning. Yeah, they'll have this condition. You take it and then you have it in front of you. And then when it comes back to your turn, you flip it. And then when it comes back to your turn again, you would win. And what I do like about this compared to something like Inish is it's very clear who is in the in the lead at the moment with that particular thing, right? Uh, the other way you can kind of win is the Chancellor can offer citizenship to the players. And basically what this does is says, okay, you are no longer an exile player playing against me. Now we're kind of on the same team. But you now have a goal as a citizen saying, okay, if I meet this other criteria, it doesn't matter if he withholds this or if he holds all the territories, I end up winning because I have you know, more relics than he does. So there's a variety yeah. of different things. You're kind of working together, but you still have your own individual objectives. You're each going to either win or lose, not together. So even though you're working together, you're not a team. Right. You're trying to... You're, you're very much trying to undercut the chancellor in some way. Yeah. And the thing is, you mentioned that this is a campaign game. And technically, it's not actually a campaign game, I don't think. But okay. what it does is the decisions you make and who wins can determine the following game's conditions. So if the chancellor wins, they become the chancellor again. And now moving into the next thing, there's some decisions based on what territories they controlled and everything like that. So there does it does follow a progression game to game to game. But as far as is it truly a campaign game? Because there's no like overall story. You kind of create your own narrative in this game. It's unique in that the win, what happens in the first game will determine what you how you play in the second game. So yes. the winner of the first game will now become the chancellor. If you became a citizen, you stay a citizen. You know, so that will you'll have a start of a new game. Um, the cards, whoever wins the game, those locations are saved and and moved over to like the first spot token. The cards that were with those locations are saved, and so you have this whole setup. At, at the end of the game, you basically set up the new game, the next game, and then you box it up a very specific way. So then the next game you come out, you've already got everything all predetermined, all set up. So I thought that was really really unique, and it made it kind of. Uh, fun to think about and, and it was like a tiny i was tiny bit interested in wanting to play it again just because of the carryover i thought that was really cool i am curious because we had tr been trying to set this game up for a couple weeks now at game night and it just hasn't worked out with the players that wanted to play it and this past week you sat down and played it but you weren't part of the original group that was like we want to play this yeah i wasn't interested in playing it why uh, because I heard it was complicated, and I don't typically like a lot of complicated games. I heard it was hard to learn, and it was. I don't think inherently the game is difficult to play. I think for the most part, the actions are, once you kind of get wrap your head around them, th it's pretty easy. But the flow of it kind of yeah. makes it difficult to understand how the game ebbs and flows from a teach. 
That's exactly it. The actions are pretty straightforward. There's nothing unique. You can move. You can discover a location. You can play cards. You can gain some resources. Like, there's nothing unique about the actions, and that's straightforward. Okay, I know what I can do on each of my turns, but I never know what I should be doing. It just feels very abstract. Like, I just didn't get the game. Even at the end of it, I was like, I don't know what I was supposed to be doing, what I should have been doing, and what I could have done differently. Maybe if I learned the cards a little bit more, maybe I don't think I was playing the cards very well. So it, there was just, it was just so cerebral in a way that did not click for me. It, and I, I figured that going in from what I had heard about it, but, um, but I still played. And I'm glad I did because I'm glad I got to experience it. Now I know. Um, the game is really beautiful. It's got really great components. I love the artwork. It's got the same art that Root has, but it's a little bit more um, less busy. As I used to say, it's a little less busy. So I, I like it even better. I like the colors. I like the, the way the, each of the characters are. I think they're all really cool. But the gameplay is not for me. On top of like it being you have really, really long turns. And we played a five-player game, so it was a long game. The player turn thing was a big negative for me. So you end up having, you get a certain number of action points, which I liked. I like the fact that you got action points and you're able to use different things cost different amount of points, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually like that because I it's one of those things that I haven't seen games do recently. You know, it's it's an older kind of mechanic. I think it's an older mechanic for a reason. I don't think it's a great mechanic. I think it's fiddly. You have to take more time. I'd rather have like four actions instead of like eight action points. And then it changes. So it, it, it works for this game because it, it scales. So as you get more of your your uh, figures out on the board, now you have less action points. So that kind of makes sense. But I didn't like it. The action point buy? Yeah. It just makes it more fiddly. And like I said, it's a thing that you don't see a lot in newer style games so it was it was kind of nice to have that experience that again but therein lies the problem is you're deciding how to spend your points and then it's not like i do an action then you do an action no you do all your points and it just keeps going around so the turns are incredibly long especially because most of the time you say okay you have this plan in your head but the game is dudes on a map area control in some ways so you're not really prepared to take your turn until you've seen how the board is developed and then you take your turn based on that. Yep. So it's going to be long, yeah. So the t- the player turns are longer than they need to be. I, n- I remember at one point we started a new round and I was the last in the round. So I had finished up my turn. Dan was about to take his turn. I got up and I like walked away because I had plenty of time. It's not like anything I... Like you can attack me and I'll roll defensive dice but for the most part, I'm just waiting to see how the board looks by the time it gets to my turn. And then I'll decide what it is I'm going to do. Yeah. At one point, I had gotten up and walked around and chatted with a few other people. And I came back. And I was like, oh, is it my turn? And like, no, it's it's so-and-so's turn. Like, the next person's turn. Like, literally one person took their turn while I was up walking around chatting with people. And it's just long. I think the game the game intrigued me enough to make me want to come back and play it. I just don't know... I don't know if I will have the opportunity to. This game, and you've heard it on so many reviews of this game, this game is for a game group that meets consistently and wants to get into a game. I think there can be a meta that develops uh, amongst the play group. For example, in our game, 
I, in the very first turn, we were playing the Chancellor's goal was to control the most territories. In the very first round, I claimed more territories than the Chancellor did, so I took the Chancellor tile. It came back around me, I became the Usurpa, and then they, it ended up getting taken away from me, but in the very beginning, I was very much clashing with the Chancellor. And then, almost towards the end of the game, the Chancellor was offering up citizenship, and I took it. And everyone at the table is just like, yeah, obviously, like Bob's going to take the citizenship, right? But it's one of those things that you take that citizenship now, so then following game, I, I cannot be a citizen. Like, I don't have the opportunity to be a citizen because I was a citizen to the old chancellor because the chancellor didn't win. Mm. So there's this meta that I think can be created within a game group. And I think it's one of those games that if you play enough with your game group, you can get into this. And I think there would be a lot there to unpack and discover and I think it would be fun to go through it. Mm-hmm. But I it just it's difficult to want to get back to it cuz I keep thinking about the turns. And I know that's it long turns drive me nuts. That's why I like games that say you take a turn and you go to the next person cuz those long turns can be can be a bit much, but yeah. I don't know, overall I thought it was a pretty interesting game. There was really only one action that I thought was fiddly and that was the attack action. Because your main pawn had to be in a space, but then you could fight all the different areas. It was weird that way. But mm-hmm. aside from that, I thought, yeah, I thought it was an interesting game. Yeah, I think this game definitely has a place, and I can see the I can see the specific crowd that this game is aimed for, and that's the crowd that they play together a lot. They play a lot of the same game over and over. They they're not the type of people who have a huge collection. They're the type of people that like to focus on playing the same game and i think there are a lot of groups like that and i think this game will go over really well i think you should check out this game if you are willing to invest 10 or more plays of it if you're not then it's probably not worth the effort yeah even from a person that likes to play a lot of campaign games this is also the kind of campaign game that i think you need to have at least four it needs to be interesting you need to create a meta amongst the four players Mm -hmm. i don't think two players would work doing this no it, yeah, it says it plays like what one to six or something or one to five, but yeah, I don't know if I would play less than four. Yeah, and then it's long, so yeah, I, I it's it's not for me, but I'm sure there are a lot of people that really enjoy it. Yeah, that's a no for me, dog. All right, next up, I want to talk about Ready Set Bet. So Ready Set Bet's designed by John D. Clare, and its art is by Kurt um, Buckendorf and Athena Cagle. Uh, it's published by AEG. It's a real time betting game in this game players are all betting on a horse race that is happening in real time if you see one of the horses pushing forward you can throw a bet down on that horse but you got to be quick because only there's only a few certain spots for each of the where the bets can go and once three horses cross the red line no more bets can be made so as soon as you see a horse pulling ahead you want to get in on that as soon as possible but the race totally comes down to dice rolls so things are really random and can change in just a couple of rolls, all of a sudden the horse you bet on is now losing. Um, so you want to wait as long as you can to make sure before you put that bet down. But then shoot, someone just beat you there. So really, that's that's the heart and soul of this game. Uh, it's real-time betting. You're watching the race. Everyone's watching the race at the same time. Completely random race. Nobody has any control over it. It's completely based on the dice roll. And you're just watching it. You're like, okay. All right, the eight's pushing forward. Oh, hey, the eight's got, I'm going to go on the eight. But so is everybody else. So you got to be the first one there. And there's all these different spots you can bet on. So you can bet on first, second, and third place. And if your horse makes first, 
then you'll get the prize for first, second, or third. So if you miss the first place, you can still bet in second place, get some points. Um, you can also bet on like the color of horse that you think is going to win. So if both of the red horses are pushing forward, you might want to bet that a red wins. Um, and then there are a few extra additional bets that come out throughout the game. Um, we have one in the first round and then there'll be another one coming up and then there'll be each round they'll have a few different bets at the top there that you have to pay attention to so you're watching the horse race you're remembering all the bets that are available and you've got um, a few tokens so you've got I think a two of two token a couple three tokens four to five and your those are multiplier tokens so if you put your five on a five spot you would get $25. You know, if you put your two on the five spot, you get 10. If you lose, there's a flat lose rate. Doesn't matter which token you put on there. So you're definitely in set and it's low. You might lose a couple bucks. So you're really incentivized to like get all your tokens out. So you want to be quick, but you don't want to be too quick where things can change really quickly. It's, it's uh, a lot of fun. It's played over three rounds. And after the first round, you get a special ability card. You get a couple cards. You get to choose one. After the next round, you get another card. So now all of a sudden, you've got other things that you're thinking about. New cards come out on the board. Um, it's I don't typically like but games where you bet to see what's going to happen and having no information and just hope for the best. But this game is so fast and so quick. And the fun really is like the hurriness, the real-time aspect of it is really what makes it fun. And you play over three different rounds. So and they kind of escalate and you get better at it. But then there's more things that you pay attention to. So it was a lot of fun. I really, really liked it. I did not have a chance to play this game. I By the time I got to game night, you guys were already in the midst of it. Uh-huh. And the real-time aspect is normally a turnoff for me. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in real-time games typically. Yeah. But this game... The biggest thing I took away from coming into Game Night Eight and watching you guys play this is the amount of fun you guys seem to be having while playing this game. Yeah, people were cheering, people were hooting, hollering, trying to like go number two, go number two, roll snake eyes, roll snake eyes. You guys were trying to push, you know, Annabelle to roll specific numbers, and it was just it looked like it was a good time. It was good. I remember looking at the box and the first thing I thought was like, how old is this game? Yeah, Apparently exactly. it's like, it's, it's new. new. <laughs> okay. Okay. couple things. This game is ugly. <laughs> she not pretty. <laughs> no, she ain't pretty. The, the, the cover is the best looking thing about this game and the cover is pretty damn ugly. Pretty darn ugly. <laughs> it's bad when you look at the cover of the AEG game and you're like, man, when did this, did this come out? Early 2000s? Yeah, and that's you, what it looks I, like. I flip. I looked at it. I was like, "Damn, this game must be old." Because Dan brought it, and sometimes Dan will bring like these older style games to uh-huh. to game night. And I saw it. And I was like, "Dang!" And I grabbed the bottom box and I looked. I was like, "2022." And I asked, "I was like, this is new?" He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> like, bro, this looks awful. <laughs> it's ugly. And okay, if there was ever a game, you know, I'm not real big into deluxe components. I don't really care about that because it doesn't matter too much. This game needs a deluxe version 100%. It's got cardboard chits, like, and you're using these chits to bet. So you're throwing them on the table. It needs a neoprene mat. You know, it needs it needs poker chips. You're betting it needs to be thick poker chips. The the little tokens are garbage. Um, yeah, it really needs an update. And I think it will get one because I think this game is going to be super popular and I think it'll come up with a deluxe version and I think that would be worth buying. I don't know. I bet you the price point is pretty, it's got to be pretty good yeah. considering the what you get in it. Yeah. It's a smaller box too. It's not terribly big. Y- yeah. Even the board that sits on the table 
looks like a um um like roulette. Like if you were playing roulette, it has a very similar look to a roulette That's board. That's why it needs poker chips. Right. And it but the thing is it looked it just looked old. I looked at it and I was like, dang, it just, it had it looks- that old it just yeah, it looked like Las Vegas or um mm-hmm. some of those old school gambling style games or whatever. It just Yep. But the thing is Watching you guys play, it was fun. I was, I was like, man, that looks pretty good. And the, what's funny is I get there, and you guys had just finished round one, and Dan was like, hey, do you want to come in and play? You know, it's two more rounds. Do you want to come in and play? And I was like, nah. I personally don't like to hop in the middle of a game, mm-hmm. you know, because then you would have to end up teaching me in the middle of it, and it just it doesn't. I'm not cool with that. I honestly regret that I didn't come in and play it. Like I kind of, I kind of want to try it. Yeah, I yeah, kind of want to try you it. Have. Um, you can so you can have one person roll the dice and move the, the horse along, but there is an app as well. So if nobody wants to do that, everyone wants to play, then use the app and it's really good. It's actually faster and, and there's a kind of an announcer there. He kind of tells you what's going on. Ooh, so seven's in the lead. Oh, eight just took over. Ooh, snake eyes were rolled. You know, and, and it just it's cool. I imagine it's super old timey too. Yeah, say angels, horse yes. number one in the lead now. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, there's a few. There's a couple of pre. I was just was checking it out. There's a couple of pre-recorded ones where they sound really cool because they're they're saying unique things. And then there's ones where it just says like, you, you know, it's it like legit is rolling the dice and reacting to it. So it's kind of repeating the same things over and over. But either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's fine. The fun is in the game. You know, watching the horses go and hoping your horse you just bet on makes it to first because you put all your tokens on that one horse and or hedging your bets and putting your all your tokens on first place for all down the line everyone that's <laughs> up there you can do both you don't lose that much you, you gotta win enough though if you're gonna win the game it's fun i highly recommend this i think i would give it a nine out of ten it was that good how long was it it seemed long ish it was longer for us because annabelle was rolling the dice and they were a little bit slower than like if the app had done it Sure. Um, okay. Yep. But I would say it's probably like a half an hour game. It's pretty Got quick. It. So there's so you can like totally lose and and it's fine. You know, it's it's fun. I think this is a great game. I would recommend this game um, for people that play with a lot of other people in their life that aren't gamers because it's so simple to learn. You know, and 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 it's a little bit overwhelming the first time because you can bet on so many different things but you play over three rounds so you learn that you kind of pick it up and i think it's it's a be a great game um to play with any type of people family um your friends that don't typically play a lot of board games you could get in, get them to play this i think i think it's gonna have a lot of legs and and i think it deserves to be on a shelf at target it should if it had a better cover it probably will make it so it needs to be a certain price point to make its target and this game probably hits that price point yeah they could keep the ugly components keep the inside just just fix the cover and it could go to target i don't know the cover wasn't the worst well cover was the wasn't best the thing worst it wasn't the worst part of the, the artwork the, the, the inside of the game is ugly but it's functional at least yeah i guess the cardboard the cardboard tokens would i yeah that would <laughs> that would suck Still a really good game. Still worth it. If you're on the fence, maybe wait. Maybe I bet you in a couple of years a deluxe version will come out. But but also, yeah, get the cheap game. Why not? I think you play it and probably wear it out. And well, and you, I mean, even if you had those, uh, you know, different style poker chips at home, you can just marker on them and use that. You can upgrade the. I think you could upgrade this game fairly easily, even if you just upgraded the chips that you use. 
Yeah, yeah. If you can, if you can get poker chips that have like two threes, fives, and then there's some that come in the game that are um, like yeah, unique numbers. But you could still use the cardboard ones. Even I don't know. You could you could figure it out. It's it's definitely worth playing. It's even if the crappy version, it's still worth getting. That is ready, set, bet. All right. Before we take a break and get into our top 100, I have a recommends. I finished up uh, the book Kings of the Wild. Wild spelled W Y L D. And this is a high fantasy book by Nicholas Eames. This was interesting because the way it approaches it is uh, it seems very similar to D&D where you have these like groups and they're called bands. And they're almost like rock stars in this high fantasy setting. And this particular book follows the the path of a of Clay Cooper. They were part of he was part of the biggest most well-known band which was called Saga. But at this point, they're all old. They've all disbanded. They were all kind of doing their own thing. And then the main leader, Gabe, his daughter ends up joining a band and she ends up going to fight in this other country that ends up getting under siege by a bunch of these wild monsters and stuff like that. So then Gabe ends up getting the entire group back together. It is all through Clay's perspective. So he basically puts all five people back together and then they're just... They're going to try to save Rose, which is Gabe's daughter from this place. And there's the main bad guy. You learn a little bit about that, about him. And they have a history, obviously. Like, why wouldn't you? But I just really like the approach that it felt very similar to the D&D where you create a party of characters. And then this party of characters is going to do stuff. And people start knowing these characters. It feels very similar to that where you have this band of people. There's a running joke in the book about bards and about how Saga has killed every single one of their bards that keeps coming up that I find just hilarious being a D&D player. But it was actually really good. And it was it was one of those books that I wouldn't consider it to be like super have a super amount of depth to it, like something like Poppy War. But it was just definitely fun and refreshing to follow the journey of this like old band getting back together and how they're they interact with each other the wizards kind of you know senile it just it all of it got put together there was a lot there was a lot of action in it there was a lot of moments of humor and it just i overall i really enjoyed it so if you like high fantasy stuff if you get a chance i would definitely check out kings of the wild by nicholas eames All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to get into numbers 90 through 81 of the Board Game Shenanigans Top 100 Games of All Time. We are back, and it's time to get in the Board Game Shenanigans Top 100 Games of All Time, numbers 90 through 81. But before we get into it, Natasha, you, you explained your system Okay. Of, ra- of these games last episode. But for those people who maybe haven't listened to that episode yet, want to just give us a quick little breakdown of how you composed our this list. So this is a list of our combined games together. So we've taken our top 100 list each and um, averaged out the, the numbers and made um, a, a list of our top 100 together. So games that we both really like. There's a lot of games on here that only one of us likes, um, but they're really high up on the list. Or the you know, right, what I what I ended up doing was taking our score and and giving each of the games a score and then getting an average for the two of them. So let's just kick it right off. 
So number 90 is a game that Bob and I both like. It's, uh, let's see, 86 for me and 90, or sorry, 86 and uh, 60. It is 86 for me and 76 for Bob. So it's pretty pretty up there on both of our lists. We both like it. It's the, our favorite Seven Wonders um, game. Bob, can you guess which, uh, which one's your favorite? favorite seven wonders. uh it's gonna be seven wonders architects yep it is seven yeah. wonders architects we both like seven wonders we both like seven wonders duel but i think the architects is both of our favorites um it's just a little bit simpler version of seven wonders and and it's everything we like about seven wonders but streamlined and simpler i really have a lot of love for the original seven wonders game i love that game so much the problem is getting people to learn it that haven't played it has been such an incredible struggle that at this point, Seven Wonders Architects gives me the teach I was looking for in the original Seven Wonders, but still gives me enough choices that I still feel fulfilled while playing that game with newer players. Yeah, quicker, easier. Um, I still enjoy playing Seven Wonders, but a lot of, I think it, it's just kind of made its round and people who've played it a lot have just played it a lot and moved on. So it just doesn't get played a lot unless we're playing with new players and if you're going to play with somebody new, you got to get the architects. And I, I want to quickly clarify, I don't know what numbers are in what part of this list. I made my list. I sent it to Natasha. I'm like, here you go. Do your thing. So I actually don't know what's coming up, which is kind of nice. Yeah, so, it's a fun surprise. Yeah, Natasha can do all the talking. <laughs> all right. That's our number 90, Seven Wonders Architect. So 89 is another one that we both enjoy a lot. This is number 97 on my list and 64 on Bob's. It's Century Gollum Edition. Yeah. Yeah. I like this game quite a bit. You could realistically input whatever you want between Century Spice Road and Century Gollum Edition. I like the yeah. Gollum Edition better. I like the artwork mm-hmm. uh, better. And I think that's unanimous across the industry. Everyone seems to like that one. Either version's the same, but it's one of those games that it's just it's fun to play. Mm-hmm. You know, you're it's not overly brain burning. It works like my wife and I have played it at two and it feels nice and it still feels like a rewarding experience at two. Even if you play it at four, it plays different just based on like how the cards come out. Yep. It's just creating this engine of cards to, you know, exchange gems for better gems. Yeah. And you have to be careful. Like you can find yourself like playing all your cards but not ever doing anything productive so you have to like get cards that go well with each other and i think it's a it's a fun little puzzle that's really quick and each turn is really quick you know you either play a card you take up all your cards or you buy a card like it's just really straightforward it buzzes along really nicely and all the the golem edition especially has beautiful artwork nice components it's just a joy to play a great family game but um really just a joy to play the uh specifically the golem edition too which is nice is they've done every version of century in both the original you know trading spices in the mediterranean and the golem editions so you're able to you know get because there are those three games all integrate with each other mm-hmm. you know there's the century uh i can't remember the other two but they they all can intermix with each other which is cool, you know, so Mm -hmm. you can create multiple games with all the things. I've done a decent number of the integrating the different games together. And at the end of the day, I always go back to the Sentry, the original, because of how fast, easy and streamlined it is. Yeah, I haven't played the other bigger, the other games, but I don't know that I would, because what I like about this game is how simple it is, you know? Yeah. Yep. Agreed. That is our number 89, Century Gollum Edition. 
All right, number 88, Viscounts of the West Kingdom. This is uh, one of my favorites at 66, and Bob has got it at 96, so still on both of our top 100s. It's the third, our third favorite of the uh, West Kingdom. Spoiler, uh, we're going to, I guess we're going to see, yeah, we're going to see <laughs> well, some of the Well, we talked about games. that when yeah. we reviewed the West, the, the West Kingdom games. Um, we like this, I still really like this game. I hope we can play it more. It's it's really yeah. interesting and, and unique. It's got the rondelle part of it. It, it's got this interesting mechanic with uh, kind of a little bit of deck building, but the way the cards kind of move along this like assembly line, I suppose it's, it's, it's a unique game. There seems to be a lot going on with it and teaching it is kind of a bear, yep. but I really enjoy the experience of it. Surprising to how fiddly the game can be or seem. It still does some cool stuff. And yeah, I'm, it just makes me want to bust it out and play it again, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, just even thinking about it. I love all three of those games, and this is the highest one on our list. This, is the, this isn't the highest one on the list. You said this is the highest one? It's the highest number, so lowest of our... It's really hard to... I don't know how to say it. It's we the like lowest this one the on least. the list. Yeah, yeah. But we I like still want to play it. Like, it's still a really good game. It is, really and good. it's... I don't think it gets as much love as it should. I think a lot more. of, yeah, it should definitely get more love. It has some cool things. I could see if we played it quite a bit, like if we made an effort to play it a lot this year, I could see it moving up and being better than um, Architects even, but we'll have to see. I just played Architects more. Yeah, because it's simpler to teach. That's I think that's it's, what it it's is. More, yeah. uh, it's more, a lot of more familiar mechanics, you know, worker placement type of thing. This one yeah. is really unique. All right, that's 88 Viscounts of the West Kingdom. All right, number 87, I am not a fan. This is like my 156 game. I think there might have been a game of Bob's that I like less than this. No, I don't think so. This was probably my least favorite. I'm so curious to see what this is now. You can guess what this is. It's your number 45. You love it. Star Uh, Wars game. Outer Rim. Yep, Outer Rim. Star Wars Outer Rim. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, you did play this game with us which i was really surprised of this game takes star wars and does the bounty hunter side of things so you get to play boba fett you get to play dengar you get to play bosk you get to play all the different you know ig88 you get to play those different star wars bounty hunters and it more follows that other side of things of the star wars universe you're not necessarily straight up dealing with you know, the resistance, the the rebellion, you're not dealing with those specifically. You're doing all the bounty hunter stuff, which I think is cool. My one gripe about the original game was the content in the box would become stale after so many plays. But they just released an expansion, which I haven't tried gotten to play. Actually, what's funny is we recently had a game night where we were talking Chris and I were talking about it about how we want to get that played because it it adds some additional content. But you can go, I mean, you can go collect bounties. You can go attack stuff. I appreciate the game. I think it was well done. It's a great game if you like Star Wars and if you want to be in a Star Wars universe. It's just not my style of game. But it doesn't. It, but it's a well done game. You just have to know going into it like the style of game. And if you like that style, it's gonna you're going to like the game. Yeah, I agree. I am curious why you dislike this game, actually. I, it's just not my style. Like I don't like going around the board seeing what happens. Ooh, a flipping over a tile. What is it? Is it good? Is it bad? I have no idea. I don't like that. 
Yeah, you do tend to hate that. That's fair. Yeah, and it's a it's a competitive game. You know, it's really all just kind of comes down to like getting lucky and where you go. And I don't think the decisions really matter. It's just it's an experience. And I'm not really interested in storytelling experiences. I want to win by the choices that I make. That's fair. All right. <laughs> but if I was a Star Wars, if you're a Star Wars fan, you'd probably like it. I Even think if so. you, I have the same game preferences as me just because the theme is so strong. All right. Number 87, Star Wars Outer Rim. All right, number 86 is another favorite of both of ours. This one comes in for Bob at 60 and for me at 81. It's a newer game, Gollum. Uh, I'm curious to know if, you know, as we play this more and more, how it'll land on our list, if we'll like it as much. But it's a kind of a bigger, heavier game. Yeah, I mean, it's by that Italian design group. I feel like I just always talk about this Italian design group. They make really good games that you really like. Yeah, they do some interesting things with dice and everything. This one particularly has uh, marbles that you roll into this little, you know, shoot, as it were. Yeah, you're moving down these different tracks. You're managing different resources. It has a has the action selection similar to Grand Austria Hotel, which I really like. It's a game that I want to explore more, but I just haven't had a chance to. It's still high up because it's still a game like I want to play. Yeah. You know, an experience, but it just it's it's a long game. It's not an easy teach either. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't hit the table as often. Yeah. Yep. So definitely worth checking out if you like heavier games. That's Gollum our 86. All right, and number 85 is a favorite of mine and Bob like does not like this game at all. Yay. Um it's cuz it's a um deduction game. Uh and that is Alchemist. So I still really like Alchemist. It is falling down quite a bit for me. It's a heavy worker placement game with a really heavy deduction element to it. And I love, love, love the deduction part of it. The heavy worker placement, I dislike. I have been waiting since this game came out. I said they're going to come out with a new game that's going to have the same heavy deduction part, but a, a light worker placement. And they haven't. And I don't understand why. I think if they did that, it would be a great game. It's just that it's so heavy in the deduction and so heavy in the worker placement. Like the economy, the, the heaviness comes from it being really tight. You know, like you're like, okay, I got this all planned. I'm going to do this. Oh, wait, I'm one coin short to do this action I wanted to do. And so it just ends up feeling really tight. It's a low scoring game. So you just don't feel like you accomplish much. You don't figure out the entire puzzle. If you spend the entire game figuring out the puzzle, good for you, but you won't have any points. But I still really like it, and there hasn't been a game to replace it yet. Even Planet Planet X, you know, Search for Planet X is just a totally different style game. It's funny that you mentioned the deduction part of this game because I don't think that's the reason why I dislike it. I think it's just too heavy for what it is and the amount of time you invest in it. It doesn't feel rewarding at the end. Yes. You know, you spend three hours playing a game you don't end up figuring anything out. Maybe you score some points. It just, you know, and it's a low scoring game too. If I'm, the thing is what I've, I've started to notice is I like games where you can score two, 250, 300 points. Cause it just makes you feel good. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's, mm-hmm. this is not that game. No, it's not. It's punishing. It feels 
hard. Like you're the first time, the first few times you play, your brain is just like, I can't do anything else. I'm complete mush. But man, I still really like it. And I just want, I just want something like that's like, oh, this is the next version of Alchemist, but better, more streamlined, like more fun, but the same Alchemist. And they haven't done, maybe I should design that game. Yeah, that's what you, yeah. Sounds like you need to put your designer hat on and get that figured out. Yeah. All right. Natasha's Alchemist. So I'll come up with something like on those lines. That's my name, number 85. Alchemist will still always have a special spot in my heart unless something can replace it. It could be replaced, but not yet. All right. Another game, another favorite game of mine. Um, number 84 is Yokohama. This one comes in at 43 for me and pretty high up for Bob at 152. You're not a fan. Have you played? Okay. First of all, Bob, have you? We, I know we played it together on Board Game Arena. Have you played it in real life? No. Okay, that is probably why it's so high for you because I did not like it on Board Game Arena at all. It was way too complicated. There was just too many things you had to shift through and click from. Yeah, it's huge. Like, it, like, like it, it's a big table hog. It takes up a lot of space. There's a huge, uh, you, you don't have a board, but you have all these little boards put together. Um, and then you've got all these like little things on the side, cards and st- stuff. When I played it online, I did terrible. I did not enjoy it. But playing it in real life where you can ask questions, like, you know, I don't know. It's just more interact, like have conversations with people. Like if I do this and oh wait, this, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's better to play in real life. I really enjoy this game. Bob, have you played um, Istanbul? Yes. So I was actually going to mention that part of the reason why I think this game is low for me is it has a very similar feel to Istanbul with the moving the pieces around. I thought Istanbul was for what it is. I can understand why people like it. For me, it rewards a certain amount of efficiency that feels like a race in Istanbul specifically because it's the first person to get those things and it was the person who creates the most efficient route that does it yeah yeah I think Istanbul is a simpler version this is definitely it's not a race you're you're moving around the board trying to collect resources to get the most points you can get points doing all kinds of various things um, but you're kind of setting yourself up for future actions I really like the puzzliness of this game I like this better than Istanbul um I think because you you it's more of a bigger, longer game. You're really setting yourself up for future turns. Um, it's less of a race, right? Uh, I like it quite a bit. I've got a, a nice version of it. I think I have the deluxe version, which probably ups my... Um, I got it on consignment, but I, it really probably ups my enjoyment of the game because it's got all these really nice pieces to it. I thought you said pieces don't matter to you. They, I, I'm not big into buying deluxe versions, but when I play them, I do enjoy them. Oh, okay. So you're snooty for good components, but you just don't want to spend the money on them. Yeah, I'm just cheap. Yeah. It's just Got often it, not right. worth it because like, especially this game, like, I mean, really, I don't play it a whole ton. Like, I like, you know, Ready, Set, Bet is one of those games. It's you're just going to get it out and play it a ton. This game, it's, it's a bigger, heavier game. You're going to play it a couple times a year, you know, unless you make a point to play it more often. Truth be told, I do want to play the physical version of it because the online adaptation is decent for what it is. You just have yeah, to yeah. click on all the boards to find out where everything sits because there's the main action boards and then there's a bunch of other boards that contain items on them that you're trying to acquire. And without seeing that and clicking on stuff, it's just hard to kind of put it all together. Yeah, I shall, I'll bring it. We'll play it sometime. You'll really cool. like it. Um, that's my number 84, Yokohama. R84, uh, right. but yep. I did say mine, but you're right. It's because it's my game. That I love. That's why. Yeah, I but this is our this. list. We, this is our list. This is, yeah. You're no, our number 84. All right. Our number 83 is a game that Bob has never even played. He deserves to be shamed for this. 
Uh-oh. Uh, it's Agricola. It, yeah. This one comes in at 54 for me. Bob, how have you not played this game? This is a classic <laughs> board game. It's like not playing Catan. I know. I know. I know. I know. I, uh, yeah. Um, I don't think you ever will. If you haven't played Agricola now, it's like over and done. Caverna is here. Like nobody plays Agricola. Okay. The reason I haven't played is because by the time I got into the board gaming hami as much as I, I have been, Caverna was already out. So Agricola yeah. came out in 2007. Caverna came out in 2013. By the time I got into, dived into the hobby, Agricola was done. Nobody was playing it. No, right. because it's like Caverna replaced it. Agricola was really good for its time. It It is one of those games. It's tight. You end up at the end of the game feeling like you haven't hardly accomplished anything. It's a low scoring game. It is punishing. Like, and the more wow, you're really selling it, man. I mean, do I want to sit down and play? Do I want to like, play this game now, man? Sign me up, Natasha. Okay, well, I'll tell you why I like it. Um, it is really punishing. I don't know that it's worth anybody going out and, and seeking out a copy and playing this because I don't think you're going to find people to play it with because almost everybody likes Caverna better, myself included. I, I do know one guy. He loves loves tight punishing games, and he loves this game. It's probably his favorite game of all time. That's our friend Nadine. He likes games where, like, yeah, you can make a mat, a wrong move in the first game, first move your game and ruin the game for you. He's like, I'm down. This game, you, you don't, you're not going to ruin anything by making a bad move. But like, people are going to go to your spots. Like, there's only one spot to do this, to make bread, and and people are going to go there. That's you have to do that, and you're just screwed over, and it's punishing as all hell. But let me tell you why I like the game, why it's on my list, because I got the app. And the app is really, really good, and you can play solo on the app, and solo Agricola is so good because nobody can go to your spots. Oh, my so God. You, you're always, like, you always need wood, but you don't ever want to go to a stupid wood spot when there's only three wood on it. But if you don't go there, somebody else is going to go there, and then you're not going to get any wood. In solo, you can let that wood just pile up, pile up pile up and you just plan it all out it's a puzzle efficiency game and it is so fun and i recommend i know that the app is probably pretty expensive for an app it's probably like five or ten dollars now but there's a campaign a solo campaign kind of i guess it's not really a campaign it's just the solo mode um it is totally worth checking out if you haven't played agricola get the app and play it on the app you can play multiplayer if that's what you'd like i don't know why or you can play solo and the goal is to get a certain number of points the first time you play and if you do you get to keep one of your occupations so then the next time you play you start off with one of those occupations and then you have to get more points and then you get another occupation and you just keep building up and up and it's really really fun puzzle to play and i really really like it can't believe you're gonna shame me over not playing this game yeah, yeah. all right teach me the game we'll play it i don't actually own the copy i'll play it on the app the app is, I just don't know. Makes if I, it so good. The thing is, it's it's like trying to get a game of Catan in. Unless you're going to seek out a game of Catan or a game of Agricola, like you're just you're not. And, gonna... and I want, I don't recommend it because it's so painful to play. Like just get the app, play it there. You can say you played Agricola. Now you know how to play. And the single player is the solo mode is great. Yeah, I'm probably not gonna do that. Yep, I'm not gonna do that. I'll just play I'll, Caverna. I'll, I'll uh, let you play on my. It's gonna it's gonna be on an iPad though. I play the heck out of it and I I've like completed it. I don't think I'll probably go back and play it. I'd 
whole ton because I feel like I know the optimal move, you know, and, and so I'm not really interested in exploring other paths because I figured it out, you know, and I had fun with that. And that was, that was fun. Cool. All right. That is my number 83 Agricola. Our 83. Our 83. <laughs> <laughs> you play it. It's still the top board game shenanigans top 100. All right, it's, all right. the, it's our list. All right. Our number two, well, finally back to Bob, is one of Bob's favorites. 82? He just played it. What's that? 82? You said two. Is it 82? 82. Number 82. It's you're one of just, Bob's... man, you're in rare form yeah, today. You know, you're so is, good at you speaking. Should, you should not give me the mic. It's you're not the... speaking. It's accuracy that I'm not very good at. To be fair, you're the one who wanted to create a combined list, which I agreed was a good idea. Okay. But you also had the grand scheme of things of how to of how to do it. Uh-huh. So I was like, sure, you just do it then. And I'll just sit back and I'll I'll respond to the games that I need to do. Maybe I, I should. Well, sorry. I thought I could talk like um, appropriately, but apparently words are hard for me. You, yeah, you're struggle bus. <laughs> I wish I had a good reason, but this is pretty much how I talk and this, this is, is yeah, my life. This- yeah, so we try to limit the amount of talking you do on this podcast so it doesn't come out nearly as bad as it does. <laughs> Spend any time with me in real life and uh, you'll, you'll know. You'll know. You're doing great. <laughs> Keep going. What's yeah, our 82? All right. Our number 82 is a favorite of Bob's, Mountain Goats. He It comes in at 48 for him, and it's my 104. I We played this last night, and I actually really enjoyed it. So maybe it would even I love this game bit. so much. It's just fun. You're rolling dice. You figure out what you want to do with them, and you're just you're climbing up these things. It can be kind of it like it's mean, but it doesn't feel mean because you're chasing mm-hmm. the other goats and knocking them off the top of the top of the mountain. It's, You're collecting it's such points a great shits. game for kids because one, it comes down to a lot of luck, so they have just as much yep. chance of winning. And yep. two, like they feel like they're knocking you off the mountain. In but when you knock them out, they, it's not painful, so they're not going to get upset about being knocked off, but they're going to get a lot of enjoyment about knocking you off. Right. That's yes, what makes agreed. it fun. Yeah. But but I have actually not played it with kids um, very often. I mostly played with adults, and it's been just as much fun. We played it yesterday twice in a row. Yeah. It was fun. It was, yeah, just, it was a good time. Just fun little game. And it comes in this I love the size of the box. It's super small. Like you have to like you have to let all the air out of the baggies to, in order to get it in the box. Perfect size box. Yeah, it it barely just fits in that box. I think this is probably the best game board game tables makes. I mean, you can make arguments over like QE. Um, but is oh, man, QE not on our list. It's probably not. You don't this, know it's not. It's I like QE better. I don't. Um, I love yeah, this. you I, don't like it very much, huh? I do like it, but it's not a game that ends up in my top 100, I don't think. No, it, it didn't. Yeah. It's too bad. I, I like Kiwi quite a bit. But a, a Mountain Goats is uh, it's just as fun. It's just a fun, roll some dice, see what happens kind of a game. And yeah. you just, like, we played it yesterday and literally we're just sitting there chatting, rolling dice or whatever. At one point, you know, Chris is like, oh, Natasha's on the 7 8 spot. We need to knock her off. Bro, I'm advancing on the seven and eight spot. You're not. Like you're on the bottom <laughs> of the seven and eight spot. So basically you're like, Bob, you got any catcher is what I heard you say. Is what I heard you say. <laughs> so it's just Bob fun. gets a little I, defensive there. All yes. right. Number eight. That was <laughs> our number eight. I guess. Number eighty two, Mountain Goats. Yeah. All right. Last one for today. Um, number eighty one is a favorite of mine. We talked about it last week. Bob has not played it. That is skull. Two weeks ago, maybe now. This is a great oh, yep. 
um, social deduction bluffing game where you're just lying and it's so fun. You, you place out your tile and you go around the table and you have to, you have to bid higher than the person in front of you. So they put their tile out and they're like one, I can reveal one tile. That's not a skull. And then it comes to you and you're like, two I can reveal two tiles so then it's yours and the other person's and so basically you're telling everybody that you haven't put a skull tile down and it goes around the table and the next person's like three four or five and it comes back around to you and now if you choose if you up the bid um then you have to reveal all the everyone's you choose who you're gonna pick because you want to pick the ones that have flowers and not skulls if you get any skulls you lose but the, the twist is that you have to flip it over yours first. So you might have put a skull in the first time around trying to get people to flip your tile over. And so you want to say, oh, I can do seven. Maybe not seven. That's really high. I can do five. Completely confident. Be, trying to fool somebody thinking that you have a flower under yours. Now you've got two flowers under yours. So then they come up and they put another tile down. And they know that they've got all flowers. They know they can count on you because you are confident. So they start flipping over their three tiles or their two tiles. They come to you and all of a sudden they flip over your skull and they get busted. And so this game is all about knowing when, try, picking the right times to lie and telling the truth. Because you do need to tell the truth because that's how you win to flip the, over the, but you got to put skulls down to trick other people. And it, it just, it's such a simple game. You start off the game with just these little discs. That's it. Everyone has, they're like little coasters. Um, that I think you get four of them, three flowers and one skull. That is the entire components of the game. It is so good. Uh, beautiful little tiles, fun little game. That's my number 81, which I'm going to have to make Bob play sometime. R81. Skull. R81 skull. This is uh, our show. It is together. our show. We're it a is, team. Yeah, it is the board game shenanigans show uh, featuring who? Bob and Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> it's ours. I think this really kind of was my list, though, because I had four that were only mine that made it because of me. You had two, and then we had three that were. This section was Natasha heavy for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could only bring down your game so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. We're going to talk again about our get you know, our top one hundred. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook and send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week.